Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And I am just so excited that you're here with me today because I think I'm going to bring a topic that a lot of us have questions about, you know, because who all has done a year-end review and who all dreads it horribly. In fact, I just spoke with a friend of mine the other day that was heading into their year-end review and it just didn't go well. And why? Why do we do it that way? So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Noah Pusey, CEO of Ripple Analytics. His software is designed to replace the year-end review by providing real-time data on employee satisfaction and to drive overall growth. Ripple gathers feedback from your colleagues to measure measure and confirm levels of engagement, self-awareness, and culture. Thanks for joining us today, Noah. Thanks for having me, Casey. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we are so glad that you are with us today and that you are kind of trailblazing on this path. You know, when we first started talking, I was just like, wow, everybody dreads the year-end review, right? But before we jump into that, I want you to tell us a little bit, um, and, and I'm going to say for one of the first times in this podcast, I'm a little embarrassed because I don't remember how we got connected. You know, I don't remember how we got connected either. Um I, I would imagine it's from a networking group, possibly. Maybe. Um, Frank Egan. I don't know. Frank Egan is exactly who connected us. He connects me with like sixty percent of the people it, that I talk to. He's amazing. Yeah, I, I mean, and um, and Frank is amazing, and he's got tremendous insight. I believe he's a recovering lawyer too, if if memory serves. He um, is. That's where that's where we connected uh, immediately. I, I'm, as I just said, a recovering lawyer, and. Um, I'm just happy to be here to, to spread the word and, and to hopefully, you know, drive some thought initiative uh, with organizations that if they don't realize that it's a tortured event, they are probably experiencing it right now. And that's the annual review, the year end review. It's that time uh, of year for sure. And if you hate it, you should look at why you hate it. And if you hate it for certain reasons that you can change, then what are you waiting for? Exactly. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, so I'm so glad we figured that out, and we figured it out in rapid time, you know. <laughs> and I love yeah. networking groups, and you know, it was interesting because just earlier today um, there was a post that went out about the group that Frank formed called the Networking Hub. Which, if you don't know what that is, please check it out. It's just networking-hub.com. Just giving a quick shout out to Frank Egan because he's been so good to us here on the show about helping us, you know, find great, great guests. And it's an amazing event. So I would encourage everybody to check that out. Um, But now let's talk about you. So Noah, tell me about this Ripple Analytics and what sparked the creation of it. Yeah, so Ripple has its uh, origins in my uh, time as a practicing, a full-time practicing attorney, uh, managing uh, firms in the city, uh, one in particular where we did the year-end review when most year-end reviews are done in December. Most annual reviews are actually done in December, um, which, as everyone knows, is a chaotic point of anyone's annual life cycle in, in the professional in their professional capacities. You've got holiday parties, you've got client events, you've got shopping, you're trying to figure out if you're going to see family, friends for the holidays. The last thing that anyone should think would be productive is a 20-minute discussion with your direct reports during and amidst all of that chaos. So what we really did was harness 
the, um, the lack of appreciation for the annual review and try to figure out a solution. And when I was spitballing ideas uh, with the co-founder of Ripple, Derek Hedges, we really just wanted to make a you know roadmap for the solution because anyone you know anyone involved in any kind of um, leadership capacity in in corporate or organizational uh, functionality, identifying the pain points is pretty easy. It's arriving at um, creative, productive solutions that is really with, uh, that's the chore. And so we wanted to make uh, the heavy lifting not so heavy. Uh, we created Ripple to provide real-time actionable feedback. Instead of talking with your uh, colleagues, direct reports to people on your team once a year, uh, you talk to them whenever it's warranted throughout the year. The human brain only remembers things accurately for about six to eight weeks. Mm. So that, that fact alone should call into question why anyone would think an annual process is effective when you're reviewing someone, really, because it can be artificially inflated or deflated if you're reviewing your direct reports in December and they crushed it in October and November, then they're gonna have an artificially inflated review. If they crushed it January through June, but had a, had a bit of a drop off in the last few months, then they're gonna get artificially um, deflated. So we wanna gather information, give facts, give feedback, give data to managers, owners, and leaders to make better decisions and have stronger, more effective communications throughout the year. You know what? My mind, because I love watching crime, true crime, went to like this totally different space when you were talking about that. And when you said that, that our mind only accurately remembers for six to eight weeks, oh my God, what happens in all these, you know, trials where they don't have them for years down the line? That is well, scary. Well, it's scary, but the, the difference would be that in trials, you have the evidence that was collected at the time of the crime or the time of the, the you know, the wrongdoing that you can have custody of. Mm -hmm. And then if the trial's three years later, at least you have the data, the evidence from the crime. Whereas an annual review, it, it you do not have many leaders that are copiously taking notes throughout the year where they're, you know, creating the evidence to use in that annual review. So I would I would differentiate the process just because if it takes three or four years to actually have the trial, at least you have accurate, genuine data yeah. on which to try that person. Whereas the annual review, I mean, I did it for years. You're just kind of shooting from the hip. And worse yet, it's almost always tied to the PL of the company. So if the company has strong numbers, if they have increased revenue, if they had, you know, a bunch of new clients and everyone's making money, then chances are most of those employees are in the opinion of their managers and owners and leaders doing great. Whereas what we try to do is give another um, set of data to managers, owners, leaders, and that is how people interact. And that that's the basis of Ripple, how people impact each other that they work around and touch. And that's why our scoring system is called the Ripple Effect Score. We have, you know, how you interact with someone is critical to not just your existence, but the existence of everyone that you're interacting mm -hmm. with. And my generation, I think, understands the importance of feedback. The millennials and the Gen Zers, they expect feedback they were raised on feedback. So the concept of telling a 27 year old once a year, having a meaningful discussion once a year with a 27 year old, they're, they're gonna look at you cross-eyed. When you start talking about March events, June events at the December annual review, they're, mm -hmm. gonna, they're gonna wonder why you didn't talk to me in March about this. 
and plus or minus. Like if you have a good event in March, why you know, they're going to expect they're going to expect some form of acknowledgement of that success. And if you did a bad thing purportedly in March, they're going to want to know what they did wrong so they can one learn from it or two say, well, I don't think I did it wrong. I just did it differently than you did it. Mm. And but had that discussion in March or April, not seven months later, eight months later, when the learning, you know, the learning moment has long passed and that person can't grow professionally. I mean, you're in recruiting. People leave jobs because they don't think they have professional development. Mm -hmm. People leave jobs because their managers are ineffective. I hate the stat, but everyone uses it. 80 plus percent yep. of people that quit, they're quitting their managers, not their jobs. So if that, if, if those are the facts, F-A-C-T-S, and that's the data we have, to not implement strategy around those facts and data is is not leadership, certainly. I mean, it's, it's borderline negligence, corporate negligence, but it certainly is in dynamic, uh, insightful, enlightened leadership. Well, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I think times have definitely changed. And I think we've seen a rapid change over the last couple of years with the pandemic and the way that people will tolerate being treated, for example. I mean, that's changed dramatically. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. why we saw the great resignation. That's why we're seeing. I mean, I can tell you, I, I used, I gave this stat the other day, but I think this is really telling about how much people are not putting up with what they're, what they don't like anymore. So when I do a search in LinkedIn recruiter, I can set so many different parameters. And for those of you that don't know this, you can't hide from a recruiter on LinkedIn recruiter. We will find you because everybody is about, even if you're not in our network, we can unlock your profile. So be careful what you put on LinkedIn is what I'm trying to say here. But it's interesting because I'll go and I'll set my parameters. And for this one particular search, I'd set just a couple of keywords. You know, I was looking for somebody with an accounting degree with, you know, two to four years experience um, that had been like a staff accountant, for example. That's not the exact search, but that's kind of what it was. And when I did that in, oh, in the DFW area, okay? So when I did that search, I had like, I don't know, 4,000 results. That's a lot. That's a lot to have to sift through. That takes hours. And so I wanted to, you know, minimize it a little more. And so another thing that I look for as a recruiter is I look for people with tenure, right? So if you've been at your job less than a year, I don't want to pull you out of there because it's going to wreck your resume, right? And so I went and I set my little perimeter and I was like, don't show me anybody that's been in a company less than a year. Do you want to guess how, much, how, how far that dropped? I would say it probably dropped 70%. 60%. Yeah. yeah. It was unbelievable. I was like, and what? Wow. And what's amazing about, I mean, so you use statistics, I'm sure, in, in your um, strategic approach to recruiting. I use statistics in terms of, you know, the effectiveness of various um, platform strategy. And and the the leaders of today's organizations, if they're not using data and they're they're using gut reactions or, you know, um, strategy based a lot of times on unintentional bias, they're missing the boat on millennials and Gen Z expectations. They, they comprise that those two generational workforces comprise 60% of the domestic laborers. That's workers. our workforce. And the number's not getting smaller. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was speaking with a colleague about the fact that they were looking at resumes and they saw all of these, you know, nine month stints here yep. and 14 months stints there. And like, well, I don't want to hire those people. You're going to have well, to. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, yeah, what's the alternative? And 
the the interesting thing about statistics and and factual analysis and data is they represent 60% of the domestic workforce and so that number is only getting bigger so are you going to reject that data are you going to deny the 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 factual basis for that data and if you do then you're just putting your head in the sand because it's not getting any better mm -hmm. and i wanted to mention you know when you mentioned the um the the great resignation or you know whatever you moniker you want to put on it you know the the concept of quiet quitting i find fascinating oh. only because because I, I i've always seen clock punchers people that do the bare minimum getting by in their jobs and it frustrates the hell out of it frustrated me yep. and now it 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 they serve as stories for selling Ripple in terms of you need it because these people have always existed. The people that take the job, they want to work nine to five, Monday through Friday, and they do the bare minimum to keep their job. I, I mean, they were called, called clock punchers back in the 90s and early 2000s, and they, they collected their check every two weeks. Yep. And, you know, anybody who was a go-getter, anyone who had stronger work ethic had to make up for them. So I think the the emphasis on quiet quitting, I would argue, should be on who's quitting, because who's moving, who's 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 being retained and who's leaving, because more often than not, the people that leave are the better employees. Oh, for so sure. If you're, so if you're losing good employees, that means you're stuck with the clock puncher, quiet quitters, who have less initiative, less work ethic, and. And you have to replace a good employee with another good employee to make up the difference. And I'm sure your clients know that's a very difficult exercise. It is so, so do difficult. more, do more to keep the good employees is the, is the message. Absolutely. Don't let them leave. You know, and, and tr too, and this just, uh, this bubbled up too. I have an, a client that I'm working with right now that has a very stringent interview process and it takes about a month to get through the process. And I can't tell you how many times we get to the 11th hour and the other person's like, I got another job offer. And especially and in this probably, market. And they probably got that job offer in three interviews. If because, that, uh, yeah, if, if that. that. I yep. mean, the clients- You have, have to streamline the process. Yeah. You can't, because that candidate, I mean, you know, when I got my first job out of law school, I loved it. Mm -hmm. The second job out of law school, I didn't love it. I didn't love it for years before I actually did something about it because I was raised by boomers where you put your head down and you work and you don't complain. You're, I was making yep. decent money out of law school. So, you know, and I talked to my dad and my dad's parents survived the Great Depression. So, of course, he was like, what are you, crazy? You're making good money. You got to stay there. I stayed years in a bad job with a bad leader and yes. a bad boss. And then eventually I left and I was happier, but it took me years to get up the courage or the the I, I would imagine the the strength to start my own company, but that's not the norm now. You have a twenty eight year old who doesn't like his or her their job. They will quit gone. without having a job. Yeah. They, well, they'll they won't come to work the next day. Yeah. I've exactly. had I've had clients say, "Yeah, we lost a couple people," and I had to text them. I had to track them down because I was concerned that maybe something had happened. And they said, "No, I just I wasn't feeling it, and I'm going to look for another job." When did that happen 20 years ago? It exactly. Quitting so without a two-week notice for sure. So those are the challenges. And, and if you can implement solutions and, you know, at, at, at its heart, what Ripple is, it's an engagement tool. It's a, it's a tool to drive engagement, which um, we measure self-awareness. Self-aware employees are happier. They're more productive. They, they call in sick. 80% less absenteeism. All of those numbers that should drive any company 
if not Ripple, to use some engagement platform, some employee talent, you know, management development assessment platform so that they can show their people that they want their feedback and then use it. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, of our, one of our fundamental messages is don't collect the feedback if you're just going to bury it. You yes. got to do something with it. Acknowledge it. And, and if everything's going great and your culture's strong, celebrate the success. That's more important today than ever. And, and not nitpicking on the, on the blind spots or the weaknesses, but celebrating where people are doing the right thing and doing well patting them on the back and you know as an organization knowing that the days of 20 25 years ago where you had to critically uh, analyze everybody that worked for you it's okay to say hey good job or hey why'd you do it that way let me know and giving them an a, a an anonymous an anonymous platform is what we do so that you can get you can give and receive um genuine feedback. It's not, so, you know, your name's not attached to it. Yeah. So what advantages have you personally observed with regards to businesses using Ripple Analytics? There's more communication. Mm. The data, you know, we, we, we um, crunch the data into a dashboard and, and we believe, although, you know, you don't have to, we believe all users should have access to his, her, their data. They should be able to see how they're doing. And then managers have access to the team uh, data and then leaders, owners have access to everybody. And what we've seen with our clients is they talk more. Managers have more discussions, meaningful discussions, not, not the weekly check-ins that are great at the beginning, but then turn into mandatory weekly check-ins. You know, you should have communications when information, when events warrant it. And if that's once every week, great. If it's once every week for a few weeks, and then it's once every three weeks for uh, you know six nine week period, you know react to when you need to have those discussions, and and by tracking the data on Ripple, you can see uh, you know peaks and valleys, and you know we call those communication events where go talk to your person, your your employee, because at the heart of every employee, every human capital talent is a person, mm-hmm. and we're trying to personalize that experience so that. It's not a 20 minute, you know, static event once a year where you tell someone what they did good, bad and everything in between for the last 12 months. That's in the rearview mirror. You're, you, you, can't, you can't truly learn from that. What you want to do is find out what's going on today that's going to impact today, tomorrow and down the road and, and build your strategy and solutions around those concepts rather than what you did over the last 12 month period. You know, one of the areas that I thought was so interesting as part of what you gather is your um, reflection summary. So tell me a little bit about that and about the intel that it provides. So uh, at the heart, what what we were um, talking about earlier, engagement, self-awareness, culture, those are our three, you know, banner points. Mm -hmm. Um, Self-awareness can really only truly be measured if you give information about yourself. Your self-reflection survey is huge. Um, you're answering the same questions. You know, Ripple is based on survey analytics. We ask questions, five questions a month from your colleagues about you. Your self-survey, your self-reflection survey is, all, you're, at, you're answering all those questions about yourself. So then you take those two da- data sets and you say, okay, it's a one to five um, scoring uh, model. So one, never, five, always. So one of the personality traits we, we track is curiosity. So if I think I'm 4.5 in curiosity and, and my colleagues think I'm a 3.6, that means I'm not very self-aware when it comes to my levels of curiosity. If, however, I'm a, I am think I'm, I'm a 4.2 and my, my um, colleagues think I'm a 4.1, 
that confirms I'm self-aware when it comes to curiosity. So when the manager looks at that data, they can see that Noah's naturally pretty self-aware when it comes to curiosity. Is that important in accounting departments? Not really. Is it important in a marketing department? Absolutely, where curiosity, creativity, mm -hmm. thinking outside the box is, is a very important component. So what we also do is we marry up the data to job function. So my example of the accounting firm, uh, the accounting department is if my accountants aren't super curious and super, super creative, I think I'm okay with that. But I do want them to be conscientious, which is, uh, uh, you know, attention to detail, um, you know, making sure that specific things are done at specific moments, uh, uh, you know, invoices are being followed up on, all that kind of stuff. That is something that I would want a, a high degree of self-awareness through my accountants. So we work with clients to look at the data, but also confirm that the data is relevant to their job function. And if it is, then then it's important to really center on those um, on those data points. That is so fascinating. Okay, so question, because I really feel like this just happened. I feel like, you know, this conversation was meant to be today because it did just happen with one of my clients. Um, so many people may come to the realization that they need to make some changes after um, reviewing the reflection summary and Casey, from their colleagues. Casey, give me just a second. One second, Noah. Yep. So I don't know why it's giving us that. Um, How much time do we have? 10 minutes is what it's saying. I can make it work. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> All right, you want to go to? Just pick back up from when you started answering that question, asking that question. Okay. Mm -hmm. So many people may come to the realization that they need to make some changes after reviewing their self-reflection or their reflection summary from the colleagues, because you said you do a self-reflection and a reflection from the colleagues. So what is the first step that they can do to take this initiative? We're big on communication. I sit down and go through the data. One of the primary reasons we share data with all users, the individual data, is because we want users to be aware of their perceived reality in the workplace. So, you know, if we're having a meaningful discussion and I'm blindsiding you with data that I collected for the last six months, and I say, Casey, you got this problem, you got this issue, you're okay here, you're that, it's not that different from an annual review. Instead, mm -hmm. what happens is while that data is being collected, you as a user, every time you fill out surveys, you get, you get to go back to your dashboard and see how you're doing and see what your numbers are showing. So if your numbers, if you're crushing your numbers, this is one of the, one of the barriers to entry we have with some organizations. It level sets the playing field because a lot of times during the annual review, one of your primary goals, which is horrible to say, is to make sure the employee doesn't think he, she, they are that important, that, that you gotta you know, limit their ability to, um, to leverage their position within the company. Because if you tell someone they're a rock star and then you give them a small raise and a small bonus, they're gonna say, well, you just told me I'm a rock star, so you know there's a market for me, so what are you doing? So when you have those discussions with Ripple data, the Ripple user, the Rippler, knows how he, she, they are doing. And so the manager doesn't have to, you know, sugarcoat it. And 
as important as having those discussions about poor data, it's equally, if not more important to have those discussions about great data. Mm. So when you see someone's data is, is absolutely confirming that Noah, Casey, Doug, Nancy, they're, they're rock stars, they're assets to the organization. Guess what? You have to suck it up as an organizational leader and say what the data shows you're a tremendous inf uh, positive influence in our organization. We know you know it because you've been looking at the data for the last six months, nine months, year, year and a half. What are you happy with and what can I help you change? Mm. Because I don't want to lose you. Now, Doug, the guy that is slouching and just, you know, uh, punching the clock and quiet quitting, that discussion's easier with Doug too because guess what? Doug sees his dashboard. Doug mm. sees his data. And when you say, Doug, you got you to gotta write the ship here, man. You're not doing what we need you to do. You're a toxic influence in the office. If something doesn't change, we're going to have to make a, you know, a, a, a decision with respect to your future employment. Doug's not shocked because Doug sees the six, nine, 12 months of data. So those difficult discussions that some managers avoid having, now you have the tool to leverage the organizational position to have those difficult discussions. You know, I could, and you're the lawyer, but I could also <laughs> see this um, helping to avoid some lawsuits for wrongful termination. 100%. That's our last selling uh, point. I, I don't like to lead with the lawsuit uh, in, in our pitch because <laughs> obviously it's like, what? Lawsuits? What are you talking about? Um, but yeah, uh, you know, there are people that um, exist in organizations that will think they're wrongfully terminated. Meanwhile, you have two and a half years of data showing that they're a negative toxic influence in the office. It has nothing to do with anything other than their poor co-working and they're impacting my good people. And my good people are leaving because of the data-backed poor employee that I've allowed to exist. And finally, I got to do something about it. And when you get that letter from the employment attorney saying, we believe there could be a wrongful termination, you can say, hey, listen, you want, you want two and a half years of data that backs up our termination? Send me your email. I mean, that's, it, it is, you, you nailed it. I mean, there is, a, there is a peripheral benefit, not in the review assessment development space, but in the you know, CYA of you know, some of those difficult decisions that sometimes have to be made. You know, I could talk to you about this all day, and unfortunately, we are almost out of time, but this yep. is fascinating, and I know people are going to want to reach out to you, but before I let you give your information, you have to answer my VIP questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so quick, short answers, whatever comes top to mind first. So if you were okay. chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? So colonists meaning we're, we're going there for the first time. We haven't established stuff, so you need a doctor. Okay. I would think you need a doctor. I would say politicians, but that would be purely, um, that would be a pure joke, yeah. <laughs> um, I would say some sort of engineer, uh, construction, some something to build. And then I would say some sort of religious philosophical leader to guide the the development of community, the 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 moral compass or integrity of, of the community we would be building. Okay. Those are the three. Okay. I don't have, yeah. There's no right or wrong answer. I just oh, love I like to see. It. That's a good, it's a good question. I love to see how people, like they want to ask me follow-up questions. Like, okay, or is the already established? Do we have water? Do we have, and I'm like, I don't right. know. Right. Well, that's, that was, <laughs> I would want some, some form of uh, drilling or uh, water creation uh, expert. But yeah, I mean, I think from a col colonial 
initial colonization of, of, uh, of another planet, I think those would be my three. Okay. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? I get up when the alarm goes off and I make my bed. I don't hit, I don't hit snooze. I make my bed before I do anything else, before I brush my teeth, before I take a shower. Um, you accomplish something. And yep. I know that there's a general that talked yep. about it at some Harvard speech years ago. I've been doing it for 30 years. Wrote a so, book on it too. Yep. But yep. it is, but the principles are good about why you should yeah. make your bed. So set, I'm going to set your alarm on, on that note, set your alarm for a time that you will get up. There are morning people and there are later morning people. Yep. If you want to set your alarm for six o'clock in the morning because you think that's when you should get up, but then you hit snooze 15 times. Don't do it. You should probably be getting up at 7.05 and just get out of bed. Yep. I will tell you, though, a little funny story when it comes to bed making. I do make my bed every morning, and I'm like you. I like to do it as soon as I get up, but I only half make it. And let me explain. I, I make everything but one corner of the comforter because I have this little five-pound palm cheek that uh -huh. likes to sleep under the covers. And so I leave a corner unturned for her. I think that's fair. That's nice. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. So, okay, my final question for you. If your life story was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? My life story. Um, farm boy, uh, farm boy lawyer uh, wants to make the workplace a happier place to work. Mm -hmm. I grew up on a farm in Vermont with seven siblings. My parents still live there. Uh, my parents didn't go to college, certainly didn't go to graduate school. So I went to undergrad, law school, realized that it wasn't, you know, fulfilling that certain need in, in me and, uh, and pivoted. And um, yeah, so that would be my, I think that would be my, the title of my article. I love it. How do, how do people find you? Because I know this is going to revolutionize yep. the workplace. Uh, email me on my work email. Don't send it to info at Ripple Crew. Send it to Noah, N-O-A-H at Ripple, R-I-P-P-L-E, crew.com. And I will get back to you within 24 hours. Awesome. I'm looking to help help organizations. We're, we are industry agnostic. We are. We basically say if, if you have an organization where you want your people to be happier, where they want to come to work because they enjoy the people they work with, where they might stay. Listen, the, 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 the era of 30 year tenure at organizations is gone. So if you want your people to stay maybe two years, two and a half, three years, instead of nine months, create an environment that fosters that, that really develops it. And we can help you do that. I love it. I know people are going to want this. I know as soon, as soon as Frank shared your profile with me, I was just like, I want to talk to this guy because I think he can help our people. So I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and spending time with us today, Noah. And I just have one last thing to say to you. Sure. You are a VIP. Thanks, Casey. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.